in your copies of the Scriptures to the second epistle of John. One of the shortest books in the Bible. One chapter in length. Our text today will be actually verses 4 through 7. Uh, but our title comes today from verse 7. Moral, uh, moral evolution. The deceiver is hard at work. So I'll be reading the entire chapter uh, this morning. Second John, beginning in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote, I wrote a new commandment to you, but that, that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things, which, those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we consider the importance of the doctrine of Christ and his commandments, as well as the deception that goes on by so many in our world, both inside and outside the church, we pray, Father, that we would hold tenaciously to the doctrines of Christ, those taught by the apostles, that ordinary means of grace that sustains your people, along with prayer and the breaking of bread and fellowship. Father, we thank you that this day we will enjoy all these things before you, this Sabbath day. We thank you also, Lord, that you instruct us from your word in righteousness and help us to grasp the importance of, fair, of faithful keeping of your commandments as an, as an expression of love to others. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, brethren, as we progress through a series of topical sermons relating to many of the current issues facing the church, it occurred to me that Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes 1.9 
are again most appropriate as we're looking at uh, John's second epistle. Ecclesiastes 1.9 reads, That which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Though the days in which we live are new to us, the faces and names being new, the technology being new, and the particular circumstances different from those that have gone before, there is a very real sense that what has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is truly nothing new under the sun. We are living through many of those circumstances that the church has lived through in the past and flourished in, even though persecution was often the case. The Apostle John, in this very short letter to the elect lady, asserts two time-honored truths that, I've, that have been given by God to the world and will continue to be throughout time until the day of judgment. And these two truths are integral to our understanding of the days in which we live and how we should respond by faith. The first truth is found in verses 5 and 6 of our text, where we read, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Here the Apostle John is not appealing to a new commandment in giving instruction to the elect lady. He's appealing to a time-honored commandment that we know as the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. This second great commandment that Jesus gave us is a summary of the last five of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, Do not bear false witness against your neighbor and do not covet. These five commandments make up the second great commandment. And this is what John is appealing to when he speaks to the elect lady in in this letter. This emphasis on the second great commandment falls under the heading of love, according to John. John had previously recorded the words of our Lord in the Gospel where he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Those were the words of Christ in John 14, 15. And in the mind of John the Apostle, loving God is the first great commandment and our loving our neighbors, the second great commandment, are rooted in keeping the commandments of God. They are bound together as one. So often we think of loving our neighbor as ourselves being evidenced most, most uh, thoroughly by acts of mercy. And I'm not discounting acts of mercy to our brethren as well as to those outside the church as an expression of love. But here, in John's epistle, his emphasis is otherwise. His emphasis is defined, is defining love by keeping the commandments of God. Look with me again at verse 6. This is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is love that we walk according to His commandments. 
To the natural man, this emphasis on commandment keeping seems almost disingenuous. How is it that we should put the emphasis of loving others on keeping God's commandments instead of acts of mercy? Shouldn't we elevate acts of mercies as the primary expression of love over keeping God's commandments? Well, this brings us to the second great timeless truth that John emphasizes in this short letter, the notion of deception and those who are deceivers. The Bible tells us very clearly here that love is keeping the commandments of God. Yet the great deceiver, Satan himself, poses other questions to us that cause us to have muddled thinking when it comes to expressing true love. When God created our first parents, he wrote his law on their hearts and in their minds. They were to remain faithful to his commandments, and in doing so, they would live quiet, peaceable lives in the manifold grace of God. There was but one prohibition for Adam and Eve. They had profound blessings all around them, and but one prohibition the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of it, they were to not take of its fruit. Now, some theologians believe that God would, at some time, have allowed Adam and Eve to eat of that tree when they were mature enough to eat of it. They suppose that that's possible. I seriously doubt that possibility. That question will have to be answered by our Lord at some future date. But for our purposes today, that question is irrelevant. But what is relevant for today's sermon is that the fall of Adam and Eve into sin was initiated by Satan's deception of Eve. It was initiated by Satan's deception of Eve. The Bible has many names for Satan, but for our purposes today, the description of the Apostle John in Revelation is most pertinent. No less than seven times does John, who is also the author of our text, no less than seven times does he describe Satan as the deceiver in the book of Revelation. By the way, just a historical fact too. Of all the the books that John wrote, the Gospel, the book of Revelation, the Epistles, the first book that he wrote was the book of Revelation. That was his first book. And in that book, he describes Satan at least seven times as the deceiver. We read this in Revelation 12, 9, 13, 14, chapter 18, verse 23, chapter 19, verse 20, and three times in chapter 20, verse 3, 8, and 10. Of these seven verses, Revelation 12, 9 is the most salient for our purposes today. There we read this. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. This is a description of what happened to the fallen angels from heaven. God cast them out down to the earth as part of judgment. They were to roam then the earth until the last day when judgment will be had in its fullness upon all who are against God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the master deceiver, Satan, who deceives the whole world, as John writes in Revelation 12.9, 
began his great work of deception with Eve, deceiving her into eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She then tempted Adam, and he did eat, the Bible says. Deception and deceivers are part of our reality. They are inescapable in the sense that until the final day of judgment, they will always be with us. Not only do they exist, the very nature of their activity is sinful. Deception. Deceivers have no respect for the law of God and work diligently to thwart righteousness at every turn. That was and is Satan's intent. Along with his minions whether they be fallen angels or fallen men. And this brings us to John's admonition to the elect lady. Consider John's words regarding what love is and his immediate warnings of deception and deceivers to the elect lady, beginning in verse 5. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we who do not lose, uh, lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. But he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds." Brethren, it's important that we link together because John links them together in this admonition to the elect lady, these two concepts. Love, love is walking in accordance to God's commandments. And that is expressed in the second great commandment, if you, to love your neighbor as yourself. And moreover, there are those who are coming and have come and who will deceive, attempt to deceive you in this very notion that the best expression of love is keeping the commandments of God as it relates to your fellow man. That's the best expression of love to your fellow man. Keeping the second table of the law. The deceivers that John warns against are those who transgressed the doctrines of Christ and teach others to do likewise. These deceivers we are to neither bring into our homes nor greet. Their harm is incalculable and their tactics cunningly dangerous. And this brings us to our modern day applications, of which I have four today. I'm going to spend more time on applications today than I do on the text. I didn't have time to talk about asceticism, which is a great heresy that's condemned here in this little letter. That would be for another study. But I do have at least four applications that come to my mind that I want to share with you today from the text. 
First, and this is the most uh, contemporary of the four applications, I guess. Over the last two weeks, we have seen some stunningly evil, yet predictable developments in our society. Our country's president has unilaterally declared that the government schools of our nation will protect those individuals who don't identify with the gender they were created with by allowing them to use whatever bathroom they choose. What is noteworthy about this declaration is that our president wants the morality of the world to to evolve. The headline of the Los Angeles Times read on Friday of this week, quote, In historic visit to Hiroshima, Obama calls on the world to morally evolve, end quote. Now, it is obvious that our president wants our morality to evolve from something to something else, from one thing to another. Could he be thinking that it needs to evolve from Christian morality to a full-orbed secular humanistic reality or morality? I wonder where we could go to read the contents of that kind of morality. Which book do we pick up to find it? And who is to say which way we, we must evolve? If Darwin was right, only the fittest will make that determination. It will be they who dictate morality. It seems as though we, he may have gotten the cart before the horse with this declaration. The one about letting people visit any bathroom they see fit. He maybe should have made that the declaration of evolving morality before the gender identity declaration. Well, I guess that's the nature of evolution, isn't it? It's erratic and not linear. At least that was how Darwin described it. It seems as though our president wants to throw off all the cords that link him, a a governor of a nation, to the living God. We see in Psalm 2 that that is the efforts of wicked rulers. They want to cast off the cords that link them to God. And here we see the very evidence of it. Now one might argue that Obama's declarations were not deceptive at all. That they were blatant. I would agree with this statement to a degree. But these declarations are tied to Satan's evolutionary lie. Remember, he wants morality to evolve. And that has deceived millions, that evolutionary lie. Therefore, the perpetuation of that deception must be exposed for what it is, the work of the demonic alliance against Christ and His church. And this brings me to the second application. Just as many in our society have deceptively promoted gender neutrality as well as the acceptability of sodomite relationships, many church leaders are now abandoning Christian ethics for current social norms. And one of the most recent casualties is T.D. Jakes, a prominent African-American pastor, who characterized his position on homosexuality as evolved and evolving, adding, I think that where I am 
is to better understand we, the church, that we bought into the lie that this is a Christian nation. Parenthetically, I would say we are no longer a Christian nation. There was a day when Christianity was promoted as the identity of our country, but it is no longer. Now it is unclear if T.D. Jakes has uniformly embraced sodomy as normative for the church, but his statement that his position has evolved and is evolving seems to mitigate against any standard by which God would call things righteous or evil. Brethren, deceptions begin with the same subtlety Satan used with Eve. Remember what he said to Eve. Hath God said? Hath God said? He calls into question the very words of God. Not only has he declared true morality, God that is, it is a loving proclamation that he has said with robust fervor, according to John. And John says, for those who deny such things, damn themselves. Now the third application I must be very careful to make. It has to do with the elect lady, who's spoken of several times in the passage. Ladies, this letter was written to a sister in Christ who likely was being tempted with abandoning the commandments of God for some other message because it was clothed clothed in the thoughts of love. And I think that's why John very deliberately brings thought to love being defined as keeping the commandments of God. Be careful, ladies. Just as Satan sought out Eve to deceive her first, he desires to sift you as wheat as well. And that's the, the phraseology that Christ used as he described Satan's wanting to topple Peter in Luke twenty two thirty one. Satan desires to sift you in, as wheat in similar ways because of the way God has created you, your sensitivities, your desires for nurturing, they can be manipulated. And deceivers are quick to do that. I don't want to make too much of this, but I do believe women are particularly susceptible to deception. Furthermore, if you can be turned, just as Adam to Eve's temptations, you could turn your husband's to those deceptions. You see, Satan was strategic in tempting Eve. So ladies, be careful. Walk circumspectly, as Paul taught us in Ephesians 5 and 6. Be quick to test what's said and actions you're called to do. Test them against the truth of the Word of God, God's commandments. Now lastly, and probably most importantly, we conflate the commandments of God with a burden on our backs or a shackle around our ankles. Too often we look at the God's commandments that way. 
Seldom do we think of God's commandments as John has described them, where he said, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Love for God and love for our fellow man cannot be divorced from God's commandments. They go hand in glove. God's commandments are a burden and a shackle to the natural man who desires to live outside his Creator's will. But they are the delight of the believer who is in covenant with God, particularly in the New Covenant. Remember that one of the stipulations of the New Covenant is that God writes on our hearts and in our minds His commandments. Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, as well as Hebrews 8 and 10. Those commandments then become to us our delight, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 1, as we've already sung today. Psalm 16, Psalm 37, Psalm 40, Psalm 112, and no less than nine times in Psalm 119. The law of God is to be our delight. And then lastly, our gospel for the world, our expression of God's grace and mercy to the lost, the salve for the mortal wound to the unregenerate man must include the right understanding of the commandments of God. Our thoughts of His commandments must mimic those of David in Psalm 19. These words are familiar to you. Hear them as they relate to what John wrote to the elect lady. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Let us pray together.